Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live is the author of some of the most hilarious comedy of manners I've read in recent years. They include Health and Happiness, Persian Nights, The Shadow Nose, Lying Low. She's also written a biography of Dashiell Hammett and other nonfiction books. And she wrote the screenplay to the film that Stanley Kubrick made of Stephen King's The Shining. Her new book is a comedy of manners set in Paris with hints of California. It's called Le Divorce. Will you please welcome Diane Johnson to West Coast Live. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you, thank you for having me, having me back. I think, I think you've been on for each one of your books through the years. Oh, yes, uh, maybe not each one, but for several. Several, and all of them very entertaining. I, I, I believe that there'll be specials on television made of your books in 200 years, the way they're doing Jane Austen now. <laughs> I wish they'd do them a little sooner. <laughs> And they're very, they're, they're very funny, and they're sly, and they're filled with these nuanced punchlines, you know, that, that just have me rolling. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear it. You spend half of your time in Paris, or more than half of your time in Paris now? A little more than half in Paris, um, owing to my husband's job. It's not really that I uh, have anything to do there other than write novels. But isn't that sort of a fantasy of a lot of writers' life, to go to Paris, to be in cafes, to, uh, to be with the expatriates and the, and the weird French? Absolutely. <laughs> and it always was one of mine, so it really is a dream come true. So now, the, uh, you make a, a great deal of sport of both uh, the difference between Americans in the views of the French and the view of the French in the view of the Americans. Yes, I, I thought that it might be um, well to present Americans from the French point of view as well as uh, them from our point of view. So c cultural clash has always interested me anyway. So which, which, uh, which strikes you as being the most insecure around the other? I think Americans are insecure around the French um, more than... The French are rather um, complacent, perhaps is the word, about um, their culture and their way of being. And, and uh, Americans are rather insecure, the opposite, um, so that when the two come together, the advantage is all on the French side, I think. <laughs> so when you talk, for instance, food, it comes from a natural history of, and, uh, yeah. and certainly the California it has the association of foodies. You talk about people who follow you know, MFK Fisher and, and Julia Child, only to find that the French actually do things every day the way that they've written and talked about. Um, yes. For a while, I was trying to uh, insist to French people that California cuisine has developed enormously, and really, uh, we'd be glad to get back to California and have Caesar salad and, and so on. But no one would ever believe me. They have fixed in their mind that there's nothing to eat in, in uh, America. So. But they do have Euro Disney now. They have Euro Disney, but they don't go to it. <laughs> I hear that's a problem for the Disney empire. Evidently. They should have really done a little better research, or as someone said, put it in Portugal or some, somewhere. <laughs> now, was that a French person who said that? <laughs> it was. <laughs> I would like to hear a bit from your, your book that sort of uh, illustrates um, what I'm talking about. And, and you have an, a, a character uh, who, is, who has gone to France to visit her, her pregnant sister, 
uh, and she's what, she, she lives in Santa Barbara, usually. Yes, Isabel Walker from Santa Barbara. Her sister, Roxanne, has married a French person, and uh, though the marriage is breaking up, Isabel is on hand to visit and, and help her sister out. It's uh, Isabel who speaks. Um, another person I met then was Janet Hollingsworth, a ruined-looking American beauty who told me she was writing a book about French women. She had a certain weary air of disapproval that suggested she had suffered at their hands. I must watch them, she said, and garner their secrets, though some of these were so profound as to defy discovery by mere Americans. Little tendencies passed along from mother to daughter, assumptions so natural they might not even be able to articulate them. I gather she meant things about fascination, sex, arts of seduction, but she did not say so, may have been talking about culinary secrets, or perhaps all of the above. There was a competitive edge to her tone, as if she herself had vied with them in rivalrous dramas for the fortune of a department store heir or cabinet minister. To tell the truth, I was sorry to see an Anglo-Saxon so convinced that women need wiles and arts, and that the only quarry worth hunting was men. I told myself she had spent too much time on the continent and had thus missed the modern mood of self-sufficiency and of being loved for yourself, or not, of being in any case without duplicity. But she was a lesson in herself, rather like the old courtesan grandmother in Gigi, a reminder of former days when American girls with money or style came over here and hunted for European husbands, counts or Rothschilds, as in novels by Henry James. It made you glad not to be living in an earlier day. Just their scarves alone, an entire chapter, Janet said. <laughs> it is true they are never seen without scarves. I had noticed that already. Knot in front, one end in front, other end over the shoulder, looped around double, ends tucked in, over the shoulders, outside the coat, like a shawl, tied in back. Shawl, foulard, écharpe. Only think of the number of words they have and in a language with a very sparse vocabulary. <laughs> Do they tell their secrets, I asked. Bulimia. She leaned closer. Bulimia is one. Oh, we can learn from them. One I know, I heard from a tender friend, a man, is that they pay great attention to the petit soin. Something, someone should talk to Roxy about that. She always looks so awful. Roxy is beautiful, I objected. Of course, but her nails and no scarf. She goes around in jeans like an American or in those awful flower child clothes. She grinned. Maybe she was kidding. <laughs> Diane Johnson reading from The Divorce. I mean, these lines, I only think of the number of words they have, and it's like Eskimos and snow, and then you say, and in a language with a very sparse vocabulary. <laughs> You're so kind to the French yourself in, in these voices. Um, I, I believe that it is a fact that French has less, uh, a smaller vocabulary than Americans, than English. Do you sort of brew at that about when you're over there? <laughs> no, they pride themselves on not having allowed um, interloping words from other languages to tarnish their, their vocabulary. So um, for those of us who aren't quite familiar with that much of what French vocabulary there is, what is uh, les petits soins? Just the uh, small details of grooming. Which would be, for instance, the nails, the, nails. the eyebrows, uh, so forth. The, the leg waxing, the, uh, the, yes, the, the facial, so on. 
So not only is there a great deal of competition that goes on between men and women in, in France um, uh, over sexual issues, but there's also politics. One woman finds politics a great turn-on for her. What was the line that you used about the line from the 60s? Girls say yes to boys who say no. That, that, yes, yeah. that, I, I had forgotten that I quoted that line. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the other is, uh, is money which I suppose might be a universal. There, there becomes a huge dispute in the divorce about something of great value. Which is more important, do you think, to the French, money or sex? Um, well, I suppose the two are intertwined, as they are in any culture. Um, certainly, monetary considerations go into decisions about marriage and property. Um, but, but I would like to uh, correct one impression I may have given uh, that men, the French men and women um, uh, are rivalrous. In fact, I think they, they collaborate in a, in a richer way, perhaps, than in Anglo-Saxon countries. How do you mean? Could you elaborate? I, I think it's because French men, at least as far as I've been able to judge, are interested in the things that women do, like cooking and, and how, you know, the details of housekeeping, the table linen, the, and so they, they respect what women do, uh, I think more than in, in our culture where women's work is considered rather inferior. Um, so as far as I've been able to see, French, have a, the French women have a little higher status than perhaps, certainly than in England, for example. Do you find, for instance, that your husband takes a more keen interest in your, in your, in your own work, whatever it may be, when, when you're in France than he does when you're in this country? <laughs> I, I should probably say no, since he's an Anglo-Saxon. But in fact, I think he does uh, develop an interest in the, the menus, and um, I think it is a little catching. And in France, you see men um, reading women's magazines, fashion magazines, for example, with a great deal of interest, or stopping to look in store windows with women that they're walking with, analyzing the clothes, the fashion. What is it then, uh, I mean, because in a way, this seems to me that, that French men according to your observation, are more highly attuned to texture, to smell, to, um, to taste than American men? They, they celebrate their senses in a different way? Perhaps they do. I, perhaps, uh, perhaps from the long discussions that go around about, around the family dinner table from childhood about the food, um, they learn that it's, you know, that these are respectable and interesting topics. The, um, where do you... Uh, you have a, such a keen eye for these details, the, the petit soin of, of life, um, and, and the book is filled with these kinds of, of, of references. How do you keep track of your observations? I, I, I would like to say I keep notebooks, but in fact I just remember them. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Can you, can you for instance, um, remember a scene and as you visualize the scene, each detail comes out, or do you pick details out? and? Uh, I'm just struck by how rich your book is in terms of, of details of daily life. Well, that's sort of the, the novelist's job, to, to remember things. Or perhaps, um, uh, perhaps being in another culture intensifies somehow one's powers of observation. I think there is something to that. We all notice things that, uh, when we go on trips more than around the house or in our own street. But like um, you know, Proust with his remembering the smell of the Madeleine, it creates a whole set of volume of... Of, of memory, um, what uh, I mean, if you were to, uh, what what detail would trigger the entire recollection of writing this book for you? Would it be the uh, 
the scene of a scarf, uh, the smell of a woman, I mean, what, what might it be? Um, I, I think it would have to do with cooking, with food. Uh, uh, one of the games I played in the book, um, which you may have noticed, is that Isabel comes having only eaten sort of hamburgers in, in her life, and by the end, she's very, very knowledgeable about sophisticated menus. She, for one thing, she, ha she has a French, a sophisticated French lover by the end. Um, and uh, I think it's impossible to be in France for any period of time without getting very involved with the whole foodiness. Um, so I would say a wonderful steak frites or uh, uh, even a madeleine like Proust. There's a, um, uh, when I think it was lying low that involved a, a terrorist, a shooting somewhere yeah. in Davis or Sacramento? Yes, in, in Orvis. Orvis. In, in Orvis. Uh, there's also some violence in, in, uh, in this book as well. Uh, and I wonder what, it, what is it about a, a terrorist kind of hostage event that appeals to you as a novelist? Well, I suppose because it provides a dramatic conclusion, but also it's uh, also an observed detail of American life. There was a, a hostage drama yesterday. I don't know if you saw it on the news where some people in a bank, something. Uh, I mean, it seems to happen daily. Uh, uh, I think I could defend it on the, on the grounds of literary realism. It's, al it's also sort of at the other end from the very genteel, bourgeois, if you will, uh, attention to the table, the details, the flavors of the wine, the, the color of the food. Exactly. And because I was hoping to contrast the two cultures, it seemed, uh, it seemed correct to me to present an American ending um, and have the French going on in, in their same, uh, as you say, more sens sensual and, and tranquil way without being um, a part of this strange event, which is provoked by a, an American. So the, the French also, it, it seems, it's, it's harder to tell which, which French are rich. For instance, Isabel thinks about Santa Barbara. You could tell who was rich by the kind of car they drove. In France, you didn't have that clue. You didn't have that clue because you, you didn't necessarily see their, uh, their apartment or you know, the size of their bank account. And everyone, there's a, well, I think it, for one thing, it's a more bourgeois society generally, so there aren't the great differences between the rich and poor that we have here, at least not so dramatically. So to, to Isabel, um, she, she has a hard time guessing how, also the, the aristocrats can live very simply. So there, there's no ostentation um, that she's able to get clues from. Uh, I want to go back to a, a piece of uh, earlier work that you did, uh, The Shining. I noticed in the paper the other day that someone had come out with a, a packaged alcoholic drink making use of the name Red Rum, which, which, which is like murder backwards, which was something that, that you'd incorporated in The, in the Shining. Do you have any interest in that, uh, in that particular drink? <laughs> I suppose we could try it. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you uh, worked on any screenplays since The Shining? I've, I've written several screenplays with various famous directors, all, none of which end up getting produced. Um, I, I'm beginning to feel that it was a sort of jinx, perhaps. Uh, perhaps it's a normal thing for people who attempt to dabble in film, but... Um, or or uh, what was your experience dealing with the horror genre? Is that something you enjoyed? Yes, I, I thought it was wonderful fun. Um, Kubrick and I read a lot of theoretical literature on what, what is scary, for, for example, eyes moving is scary, the eyes of inanimate objects, 
or inanimate objects coming to life. There were, there were many things that Freud talks about, for example. Oh, that Freud talks that about? Freud talks about, yeah. And, yeah. Freud was one of the most interesting writers on the whole subject of what is scary. Really? And he was into the eyes that moved? And eyes that moved. I think that was his observation, yeah. What was going on in his little Viennese apartment? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, there, there may be a film right there. The book by Diane Johnson is called Le Divorce. And thank you very much for coming in and being on West Coast Live. Thanks, Sedge. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.